Hello, how is everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Michelle Mission Two Men One Podcast. Every black film ever made. I am your host, Vincent Williams, here as always with Mr. Lynn Webb. Yo, what's up, Holla your Boy? This is Lynn, aka the Bat Tribble. And on this episode, we are going back, way back, way back, 1939 and Paradise in Harlem. But before that, before we do that, we actually wanted to, you know, not necessarily go through any feedback that we got, but we wanted to take a moment to share a little love about a couple of websites and podcasts out there that are kind of on the similar missions as the men of the Michelle. You, you know, we, we've talked about a couple here in, in the great city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. There's, of course, Real Black. Yo. Real Black. Um, Welcome to realblack.com, uh, which is all about good movies about black folks. Yes, um, yes. And I think they just started a podcast fairly recently. Yeah, they do. Well, they do, um, they do like a, a radio show um, on uh, WURD. Right, right, right. And, they have, and URD, you can get that on the web, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so you know, stream and so WURD nine uh, nine hundred AM here in Philadelphia. They do they do a radio show there um, that they also then release as a podcast. Okay, um, for my man Mike D, absolutely, as well as his whole crew. You can see find them everywhere in Philadelphia doing big things. He's also got um, a show that they do on Philly Cam. Okay. As well, so uh, they're doing big things. It is all about promoting um, black films, black filmmakers, black actors, um, black Hollywood, as it well, as well as, and most definitely, the independent. Yes, world of yes, black cinema. yes. And then there is, of course, the Black Star Film Festival, which we have discussed coming up very soon. Yes, in here, August here in Philadelphia. I actually think that's where I saw big words. Okay. For the first time, I think I saw it at Black Star. So, so you know, those are two of our our Philadelphia companions. And then, sort of stretching out, I actually just found uh, um, a podcast where where some brothers, I think, out of Baltimore, really? do do reviews and, and kind of look at films. Um, black on black cinema, black on black, black cinema. on black cinema. They yes. have a podcast, so, so you know, just shout them out. And if you like what we do here on the Michelle Mission, you know, those are different voices. Doing different things, but but you know the more of us talking about us, the merrier. Absolutely support that. And then the reason I was thinking about this is um, the website shadowandact.com. So it's shadowandact.com, and it's a lot of news on black film, a lot of criticism, a lot of um, stories on black film. I was and and I was thinking about them because. They actually talked. There was an article on there last week talking about an issue that you and I have discussed, and that is the availability or the lack thereof of Porgy and Bess. And there's a great article on there about what is going on with Porgy and Bess. And, you know, I'm not I'm I'm not even going to disrespect the article by trying to sum it up. But long story, long, interesting story short, it's a licensing issue. So like this, there are there are various studios who are saying that they own Porgy and Bess so that it can't come out. And, you know, as the article says, the only way you can find a copy of Porgy and Bess is sort of second and 
third generation bootlegs and and you know i have to admit that's how like that's the copy i have like i have this real shaky kind looks like somebody filmed it in the theater so you know again i, I so I this is the, the the movie the movie porgy and bess okay like like the you know the movie the sydney portier right um how did i just forget um i know sydney portier i don't even know dorothy dandridge's name i just forgot dorothy dandridge's name you know sydney portier dorothy dandridge and and you know if you are interested in the film in 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 black film from this era in particularly this really is like the mother load like mm. like you know we've talked about this but before if you read you know sammy davis jr's biography nichelle nichols biography maya angelou um sydney portier obviously you, you know when you talk about dorothy dandridge like everyone talks about porgy and bess and it's a shame that we don't have access to this film and i know it's you know it's always kind of bothered me so anyway just some websites some podcasts we thought we should share because you know again we're all in this together and you want to big up people fighting a good fight amen all right let's um speaking of fighting a good fight turn our attention to a paradise in harlem Swing and blues musical numbers, the story of comedian Lem Anderson, whose long-awaited chance to act dramatically vanishes when he witnesses a mob killing and is forced to leave town. Lem becomes a wanderer, then an alcoholic. Finally, a chance to play Othello draws him back to Harlem. Is it too late for Lem or too soon to suit rough Jackson's mobsters? Melodramatic events lead to an unusual conclusion. That's the write-up on IMDb by Rod Crawford of 1939's Paradise in Harlem, which stars um, Frank Henry Wilson as Lem Anderson, noted vaudeville performer Mamie Smith, uh, as well as Edna Mae Harris, Francine Everett, in this film that was written by Frank L. Wilson, not to be confused with the actor, and uh, directed by Joseph Seiden. Paradise in Harlem is a film that, you know, just putting it out there, it's what we would now call an independent film. 
Right. But in uh, in the parlance of the day, they were called race films. These were films that were put on uh, and produced, directed, and starring um, all Negro cast to be played at theaters that were specifically uh, created to show um, entertainment for black people. Right. And, and so it, it's very, very low budget, very um, minimal story or not. It's usually, usually not uh, complicated stories. More often than not, the films tend to be, big musical extravaganzas. Yeah, absolutely. Basically turn on the camera at the local club, kind of loosely write some type of story about people sitting around in the club and then just go from um, performer to performer, uh, a way of kind of bringing, especially in these early days of the thirties, bringing the vaudeville experience to film. Because at that time, you know, vaudeville was a straight stage performance. So a lot of people, you know, it would go from town to town. It was a scene. It was to kind of like, um, in a way, be a uh, a catalog for a lot of these vaudeville acts. You know, like, oh, wow, now you can see me. Um, and just so, you know, a way to, to placate the, the black people and give them some some something to lock on to. Because of the times that this movie is made in, in 1939, it definitely is a window into that world, a window into the world of 1939 in whole, as well as for the black man and woman without being a direct commentary. Like the movie is not, it's not necessarily set up to be a commentary on their life at that time. You just can't help but get a window into their life at that time. You can tell that a lot of these, these performers, they basically are, you know, performing their music, their acting, their, their comedy, their, their um, singing for the love of it, as opposed for the, as opposed to the money Um, all told. That's why they all pretty much all live in a boarding house. All like, shoveled together in a, like a three bedroom house. It's about 20 people living in there, barely paying rent to the, to the mother of the house, uh, Mamie Smith. You have these uh, performers who are singing, you know, the, the, the movie is filled with rhythm and blues and jazz and gospel, but it's also filled with some of the uh, hallmarks of the time, unfortunately, which is a little bit of minstreling. Yeah. Uh, uh, you see that in the lead character, Lem Anderson, who, when you're introduced to him, you're told that he's a comedian, but you get the understanding that he's a comedian because when you're introduced to him, he's sitting at a window putting on his blackface. Right, right. Because right. that is the way that he does, that's the way he performs. That's the comedy that he um, is noted for and the comedy that he is railing against uh, in this film, even from the beginning, wanting to be able to um, ply his craft more dramatically, do Shakespeare mm-hmm. on theater. That's what he wants to do, um, which is telling because the actor, Frank Wilson, Frank mm-hmm. H. Wilson, 
is a was a noted at the time noted Broadway actor who when the opportunity would arise would do serious acting right uh, unfortunately as a black man uh, those opportunities were few and far between so he you know he, brother's got to make a living he was forced to do what he wanted to do what he had to do um he took on this film because it spoke directly against what he this is like this is what i'm trying to get up against you know right, what I mean? Fighting right, against. Right. and and he was he found drama on the on the stage but he couldn't found find uh dramatic works in front of the camera and he took the opportunity in this very low budget independent film to to do so and tellingly this film like i say most of the films of the time are basically like you know from musical number to musical number there's a, a more than a few musical numbers in here but it's not a whole lot it's actually only about maybe five or six musical numbers in this movie that's a little bit over an hour and a half so right, it's right. got some length for that time as well and in that hour and a half there is the trappings of a complex crime story this right. actor sees a murder and then is forced to get out of town and there's a whole lot of machinations that come that come from that it's kind of compli- it's a complicated plot and it's you know it's not the greatest story in the, in the history of cinema but for its time it's pretty interesting you know what they're going for it's also kind of interesting in you know peeling back the layers and seeing Mamie Smith a big star of yeah. vaudeville she was yeah. a huge star She's of a big vaudeville. deal she was the the queen of the blues yeah. uh, um, before Bessie Smith probably the biggest star in the movie most definitely yeah. and and this movie was marking her return to prominence she heard her um her heyday was the the twenties and early thirties. This mm-hmm. movie comes out in nineteen thirty nine. She basically does this film because the the producer of the film, Joseph Goldberg, I mean, or James Goldberg, is her husband. Okay, so she does does the film because because of that, and also an opportunity for her to now this woman who basically went you know barnstorming across the country for 10 for 10 15 years for an opportunity to let the masses by way of this movie see what she was all about see you know see who Mamie Smith really is and you know she takes that opportunity she stopped stops it pretty good in the in this film ladies and gentlemen now we have a guest with us tonight a star of a decade ago and you can believe me she is marvelous as a singer of the blues ladies and gentlemen she is the first of the Red Hot Mamas. I'd like to have you meet all over again Mamie Smith. What do you say, huh?
you have Edna Mae Harris in the role of Dal Davis, <laughs> Fen Patel Dal Davis, who in the 30s and 40s was considered one of the premier black actresses at that time, actually went on to star in a few of the films of Oscar Michaud, starring in Lying Lips and later in 1939, as well as the notorious Eleanor Lee in 1940. And she would later on tour with the Noble Cecil's Orchestra as a featured vocalist alongside Billy Banks and your girl, Lena Horne. Yes. So this is a this is a movie that is not lacking for talent. Right, right. Oh, uh, no doubt. It's not lacking for talent. It's not lacking for for uh, energy in this film and for daring in in the story and and daring to show you know uh that it the story travels from the the streets of harlem to down south to south carolina and you see trains zooming around zooming around but it's not a commentary on life uh, uh, on the life of the black man at that time because the Pretty much everybody in the movie is black, all the way down. Yeah, from, yeah, yeah. From the cops to to the to the um, gangsters, everybody is black, and they are black of all shades. It's a whole lot of light skin, but right, it's a right, whole right, there's right. a whole lot of dark skin guys. To, right, right. People in here most too. of the dark skin guys are buffoons. Some of them, actually, some of the some of I, I was thinking about that too. But there are uh, a the few. preacher. Is cool. The preacher is cool, and a couple of the police officers yeah. are dark skinned as well, and they're not—they're not played as buffoons at right. all in this film. Um, but you are right; there are a couple of guys, uh, particularly who are dark skinned, who basically are kind of like getting their uh, their three dollar Amos and Andy on right, right. in this film, and it's getting a, it it that gets a little tiresome, right? Um, to be to be honest, and distracting, and distracting because yeah. it, it's because which is worse. Because this film is a drama comedy, they are the quote unquote comedy of this film. Everything right. else is pretty much a straightforward kind of like crime drama. Yeah, you know, with maybe some loose music on top of it. Um, and because the writing is a little amateurish, it doesn't it doesn't uh, it doesn't play well dramatically. But you understand what they're going for, sure. And you give it a pass because it is independent theater. You know, it's the same kind of passes that people give independent theater nowadays, you know, uh, less people think that this is the heyday of independent theater. No, they were doing this back then. This right. Is a, right. In a, independent cinema has always been around where there's uh, innovative, creative black people that wanted to get together and make a movie and try to make something that was just strictly inter- entertaining. This is not supposed to be type of world changing cinema. This is just supposed to be a kind of like a good movie. Um, and there are a lot of pe- the movie while it has fallen in the public domain in uh, over the years it is a movie that has been rediscovered by Turner Classic Movies actually they've played it a couple of times um, for I think primarily for the documentation of you know Mamie Smith yeah. uh, and Frank Wilson yeah, uh, yeah. who is a noted actor of the time like I say but you know it's his screen time throughout his career is few and far between watching this movie kind of reminded me of the stories of Satchel Paige when he made it to the 
Major League Baseball and how for that first year, maybe a couple of years, he was just lights out on people. But that was still because people were just still getting used to Satchel Page. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, he even at that at that time, his greatest years were behind him. Exactly. They were in the Negro exactly. leagues. And to a to a degree, as energetic as Mamie Smith is in here, as much as um Frank Wilson, you can tell, is giving his all right in this movie, um, and some of the other uh characters and actors, I do kind of feel for them because I know their heyday was probably a good ten years prior. Sure. You know, sure. especially someone like Mamie Smith. Yeah. You know, who who I could see like she would have been she would have been the femme fatale in this movie ten right, years prior. Right, right. You know, uh as opposed to the house mother right. that she plays. And 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 she plays it well, but it's for the most part it's a thankless job. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, a, yeah. An expository yeah. Uh, role in this film. I'm happy that we watched this film. Oh, no doubt. I'm happy no doubt. for for watch this film because because the history that it that it shows, that it allows us to to speak about and therefore document and catalog mm-hmm. um on our on our show i don't i can't honestly say that as as interesting as i found the movie i can't honestly say that i like the movie right right but i'm i i feel i feel better that i sat down and watched it and especially so because a lot of the movie some of the movies that we watch i will watch later in the evening Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes I might have to find myself like rewinding. Right, bit, right, you know right, I mean? right. But I watched <laughs> this one uh, on a Sunday afternoon, sitting there chilling uh, with my tuna fish and crackers. And it's a lot of information. Well, I'm, I'm giving, I'm, <laughs> I'm painting the scene. Okay. Uh, and while I was sitting there eating and watching the movie, you know, I wasn't enjoying it, but as I, w- I was enjoying that the time capsule that it presented. Yeah. And uh for that I I thank uh Paradise in Harlem. And um I mean I liked it. Like I think I like you know first this is officially the oldest black movie I've ever seen. Really? It it, it really is. I think um Cabin in the Sky and Stormy Weather, which are the big movies that people kind of talk about from this moment. Both of those come out in 1943. Yeah, and and even sort of the criticism of both of those films is that this is like a big studio version Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of these older race films. Yeah, so you know, like I've seen clips of Oscar Michelle films, but I've never like this is the first thing I've watched from beginning to end, and I enjoyed it just on the level of kind of just like 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 there's a part. In here, where I said, or like, you know, I was watching, I was holding my, my son, my, my my infant, and he Paint was your scene, brother. Paint Paint your scene. And, but he was asleep. And there's this wonderful joke because, along with the music, there's also there are acts like like it's vaudeville. So you know, people do yeah. they do their little bits. And you remember the joke about the guy killing his wife and going to jail. Like, and I'm not. It the joke is so good. I'm not even going to ruin the punchline. You always run up down street, tell somebody you're a hustler. You ain't nothing. You come to my house, you let my substance be. Why, look at you, big water. You ain't no good. Uh-huh, you're trying to hit me. Did you? Police, murder. I wish 
you would hit me. I'll have you put under the jail. Killing my wife. Killing? Uh, how long did you give? Two weeks. Two? Uh, Mr. Police, is you got your gun with you? Yeah. No, near me, will you please? Thank you, Mr. Police. Thank you. Stop kicking that left leg. <laughs> That shotgun. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Police. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, let me get these things on good, Judge. You know, I don't want to get away. They're on good. <laughs> uh, hey, huh? I forgot to tell you. After two weeks, they're going to hang me. What? Yeah, get me out of these things here. Get well, me well, out of here. I actually barked with laughter <laughs> and woke my son. Because it, the rhythm was so... What it actually reminded me of is is part of why I love Sanford and Son. Mm. Where, you know, many of the actors on Sanford and Son come come from this tradition. Yes, they do. And there's this wonderful, warm rhythm in their performances where they kind of just slide into this kind of back and forth with each other. Yeah. And I appreciated that. And, and you know, just, just to clarify... I thought it was really noteworthy that although we see Frank Wilson in the blackface, like we see him in two scenes where he's, as they say, putting on the cork. Right. We never actually see him perform exactly. in the blackface. Exactly. So that the film is aware enough and smart enough to know that it's taking this stand mm-hmm. on blackface. And saying that we're going to acknowledge that this is a reality that these actors have. And, and, you know, this is like you hear all, you know, a lot of actors from this. Like, you know, you think it was just white performers using black. You know, we think about Al Jolson and blackface. But a lot of the black performers had to use blackface. Like it really was this dehumanizing aspect. That exactly. these audiences demanded of black performers. So, uh, like, the fact that in 1939 this film was aware enough that we're going to show the blackface, because we're not going to pretend it doesn't exist, but there will be no blackface performances yeah. in this film. Kind of, like, that let me know that there was a little bit more going on here than just, like, I don't know, because it sounds like you found way more than I did. I couldn't find any information. It, it's a production of the Jubilee, the Jubilee, Jubilee Pictures Company. Yes. And I couldn't find any information on them. I think this may have been either their only movie or if they had other movies. I couldn't, I couldn't find anything. I, I couldn't yeah. find anything about them but specifically. It, but no. it seems like this was a smart group of people putting this thing together. And then, you know, the, the, to bookend the uh, blackface I thought that whole conversation. So, so you know, as we say, the character, the character that Frank Lim. Wilson, right, Lim is 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 this 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 comedian that wears a blackface, but he aspires to do Shakespeare, and specifically, he aspires to play Othello. Right, and there's a whole history 
of black men playing Othello because what it comes down to is Othello is a play about a black man with an entirely white cast. Mm-hmm. So you see how in segregated America, this would be problematic. And, and you know, the, the person we always think about is is Paul Robeson. And Paul Robeson played it three times. And the first time he played it in England, I think he played it here in 1943, but that was a big deal. So that the fact that, that you know, Paradise in Harlem says not only does Lim want to be a quote-unquote serious actor, but he wants to play Shakespeare, which you know, for many people is 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 just that's that's the the top. Like like yeah. you know, nothing is is more important or serious than Shakespeare. But he wants to play Othello. I think there was so much kind of in that, and you know, again, I love the performers in this film. Like like I loved this kind of back and forth and the rhythm, and you know, and as you said, it's. It's a pretty straightforward story, you know, and he sees it and he gets sent down to the south and then he comes back. And but again, it's something liberating about all of these black people making this film and they don't have to just be the comic relief or, you know, even the musical numbers. I mean, you know, this like they talk about, like, if you look at, at the films that like Cab Calloway or Duke Ellington or one of these big bands are in, they're always in a part of the movie where it can be snipped out exactly. really easily because when they would send these films to the South, they didn't want to see black people on the screen. So, you know, you could, you could easily edit them out. So it was like, I love the fact that there are aspects of, of the film where there's a musical number or there's a, you, you know, again, an act where, you know, the, the actors are doing their little bit, but it spills out seamlessly into the actual movie because this is not an act that an editor that is showing it in the Southern theaters is going to want to take out. Well, this is a movie that is just made for it is a movie theaters. just for black theater just for us and in black audiences and it's black people making it and, and shot on the streets of Harlem. Cause there's, yeah, there's oh a yeah. lot of it's filmed on the streets of Harlem where you can see like, you know, you know, um, the 20th century or, you know, later 20th century didn't create guerrilla filmmaking. Right, because right, right. Because you can right. tell that they are on those streets and there's a lot of passerbys that are looking at, what's that camera? <laughs> right. That camera and I don't at? think people sign releases. Ain't or, no releases or nothing, know. Jack. No, no, no. So, but, but they were filmed right there, right in the heart of Harlem and where you could have and show black people from all walks of life. There you go. All of them dressed to the nine. What we would consider dressed to the nines. Oh yeah, man. Because I love that part. Like I just love these old images of black people wearing suits and dresses all the time. Yeah. You know, you go to dinner and you have on a suit, and and you know, and you could tell even even in nineteen thirty, not even in nineteen thirty nine, but like you know how now you see people like I always say if I have to go to a you know a black tie event, like you look at people and it's like either you look like you rented. A, a tuxedo to go to the prom or you look like James Bond mm-hmm. and it's no real in between about the way it lays on you and you can see this in this film like the people who had on cheap suits and then there's people who maybe brought their own suits yeah. to the set yeah. and it was just laying on them like the dude who um played 
the actual gang lord. Oh, uh, Ruff Jackson? Ruff Jackson, Norman Astwood. I think Norman Astwood brought his own suits. Yeah, he said, I, I, I got mine. I got right, because his were laying. Yeah. And it was like, okay, I see. And then, of course, Lou Miller, who Lou Miller is the band leader. When he, because he opens up the film pretty right, much. Right, right. Lou, Lou Miller and his cotton pickers. <laughs> I noticed that too. <laughs> um, um, which I found out was actually is Lou Miller and the cotton pickers, but that was only for the movie. That wasn't the name of his band. Oh, that's interesting. The name of his band was like, you know, the Lou Miller like orchestra. orchestra. Or I wonder like why he called it that for this movie. Probably just to, you know, wrap it around the, I guess the... Culture Kings is a podcast on the How Stuff Works Network, hosted by comedians Jackie's Neal and Edgar Montplacier. Every Wednesday and Friday, these two friends dive into topics ranging from sports, music, to movies, style. They wonder whether or not Donald Glover is a genius or a weirdo. They continuously decipher Kanye West's tweets and behavior. They also have recurring segments like Queen of the Week, The List, and Top Fives like Marvel Movies and Video Games. Listen to Culture Kings and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and find out the best way to eat a taco. Oh, what's the best way to eat a taco? Vince, with your hands? With your hands. Also, with salsa on top of everything to hold the ingredients down. It's like a layer. It's the layer. Right. So that the lettuce doesn't fall off. Can't have falling lettuce. The milieu of the film. I don't know okay. why. Right. But when he showed up and he's kind of like he's kind of like getting his step on in his in his nice little tux. Yeah. I noted, I was like, no, that's a that's a fly looking tux on that. Yeah. Movie. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know, I could see if I get married again, I'm gonna try and find that tux. Try to find it. It was not he was laid, bro. Well, again, like you said, because everybody is black you're sort of liberated from seeing the black dude and saying, well, why does he look like that? Why yeah. is he wearing that? Why is he eating that? Why is the black dude got to do that? Why is the black dude got to die? Why is the black guy, you know, because everybody is black. Yeah. And it is this wonderful kind of thing. And, 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 and then, you know, you have these little moments, like you said, the storyline is, is it's straightforward, but there are these moments like, like, remember, you, you know, like it's a moment where, you know, there's a young woman and she wants to go into show business and then she strips down and does the jitterbug. Oh, no, no, and, no. She, okay. She strips down, but only because those she, guys. Right, right. Tell her you, we can help you. So you should strip down and do the jitterbug. And, and they and, 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 no, and she has on her costume. She's got no costume underneath, underneath it. her clothes that she uses. Yeah. As one does. True, true. Because they're, they're, everybody's trying to make it. Everybody, everybody's everybody trying this, to make at it. this little boarding house. That's you know they're all like this troop, this, right, this right, troop right. of entertainers and, and and people that want to make it break through, take that next step. So and so she is um, doing her thing, and you know breaks down and 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 dances and everything. And Mame Smith comes in and is like, "What girl? What you doing?" And she puts on her clothes, right, right, and her. runs off. And and again, that's like you say, that's that. That little pocket right there is a vaudeville scene. Yeah. This would be like a quick little skit on stage that would go from from town to town as they as they set up for the next right, big right. big band uh, or piece. or Lou Miller getting a conk and it starts to burn. <laughs> Which for many of us, the only, I mean, I'm, I'll just speak for myself. The only time I've seen that on film is that scene in Malcolm X. When, yeah, when, when Red gets a conk. Like, I've never seen 
Didn't did somebody get a conk in life? I want to think I saw. Oh, it maybe life someone too. got it in, in in life too. Okay, all right, okay. but certainly not from this moment. No, 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 like this is actual documentary evidence. Yeah, this this this, this black life of a black man getting the conk, <laughs> and it stays on too long. And like he actually says, hit behind the ears, get them edges, bro. It's like wow, he's actually getting a conk. Yeah, and we're watching it, and he says it's getting hot. Go get the water because mm-hmm. that's when you know it works when it's starting to get hot. <laughs> So, you know, you have that uh, you have, you, you know, I mentioned a, a moment ago, there's there's a preacher cat because they end up they're, brother, they're, brother they're, uh, moans. Right. And they're going to finance a production of Othello. Mm-hmm. But there's this whole kind of dynamic of the financial aspect of it where, you know, we're a church and and, we're, and because we're a church, we have a certain amount of of financial strength. And we're going to finance this. But part of the reason we're financing this is because this is a positive portrayal of black people in the arts. And we think that, you know, that that this this positive portrayal of blacks in the arts is in itself uplifting so that we're a church and this aligns with what we are trying to do. Yeah, I don't think it's so much that it's a, a positive portrayal of blacks in the art as as it's it's uh, something positive that's diff that that is artistic right. and different than what is seen in that neighborhood. Exactly, and you know but again, I mean? there's throughout this film there is this awareness, yeah, that black people are trying to control their images, yeah. Yeah. And again, this is 1939. I know. Like, like this is, you, you know, you're talking about, like we talked last week about updating a film. You're talking about something that could be updated. Like, there are conversations in this film that sound like conversations that we have right now about, you know, controlling our images and, and you know, and buffoonery and, 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 you know, and I have to do this. But, but, but you know, what I really want to do is that. And mm-hmm. they only see me in this certain light. And it's amazing. I mean, it's kind of sad that we're still talking about the same shit. But at the same time, it is always like it's always good to like it's always good to know. Like, have you ever seen any Amos and Andy? Like, have you ever actually watched any Amos and Andy? The TV show. The TV show. Like, yeah, have you seen so? So, like, you see Amos and Andy, and and you know, and Kingfish, and mm-hmm. and and uh, Lightning, and you know, Lightning is their friend. They call him Lightning because he moves real slow, right. and, and that's the you know that's the, the joke. But I think the thing about those those images from this time, and this is also something because you know I've already brought in Spike Lee. Well, you know I can't be. Can't go show. I, I can't go a show without bringing up Spike Lee or Tyler Perry. But I remember an interview was where Spike Lee was talking about Bamboozled and talked about um, casting Savion Glover and Tommy Davidson, mm-hmm. and he said because they are they are supreme performers. Yeah. So that I, the the and and, he, and of course you know something like Bamboozled is commentary on all of this other stuff. But when you look at those old movies, when you look at Amos Name, when you look at, you know, stuff that like Mantan Moreland was in, the sad thing is the, their talent transcends the material. Yes, because they are actually good in it. They are they are amazing performers, but just because of the constraints of the period, this is what they have to do. Exactly. And 
I think the fact that and, and the, mind you, excuse me, I mean to cut you off, but just go, staying on Amos and Andy for a minute, they are doing the TV show only because it right. can't translate from radio. Because on radio, it was white guys exactly. mimicking us the way that they wanted us exactly. to sound. Exactly. But now when they wanted to move it onto television, well, we've got to find black people. Because, right. Because, you know, they, they, they were smart enough not to try and put them right. in blackface. So basically what you had was black performers doing mimicking, mimicking a white caricature of black people. Exactly. But even through that. You know, again, you have these amazingly skilled performers, and I think I can do you doing me better than you. I can do you doing me better than you, and and you know certainly the the few times I've seen Amos and Andy, like it's been in a classroom setting, okay. and and you know I've been in there, you know, mad because what is this bullish? And and you you know I I think for many people you watch it and you find yourself enjoying it in spite of yourself i've watched i've watched maybe five episodes of amos and andy in totality Uh uh-huh and i cannot lie i probably wouldn't laugh at it now right but when i saw it when i was probably like in my early 20s right right i was like yo i'm not supposed to be cracking the hell up on this but that is a testament to the skill yeah that these performers have and again, if if nothing else, I, I think this was a great, and and you said it, documentary evidence of these performers having this conversation at this moment about their own art, mm-hmm. and when they had their own druthers and, and were able to kind of say something about themselves, this is what you get. Yeah, it was. Um, it's a lot. <laughs> There's a there's a lot to process in this film when you sit back and really think about that. Surface level, however, <laughs> this film is like really annoying because <laughs> because you know so Lem sees the murder. First of all, <laughs> this when Lem sees, this is the most awfulest <laughs> murder. <laughs> In the history of cinematic, <laughs> I mean, when man comes hey, out, hey, buddy, you got a light. <laughs> My man comes out. He's like, "Yo, can you can you give me a light? It gives gives him a light." Dude takes one, and the guy takes one drag of his cigarette. You hear a gunshot. Maybe a minute later, dude is like, "Oh." <laughs> Now, mind you, I swear this gunshot sound like it comes from over Lem's shoulder. But dude goes, oh, like he got shot in the back. I didn't even know what was happening at <laughs> I first. Know. I thought he got stung by a bee. That's a shame. Black man can't even smoke a cigarette without getting stung by racist ass bees. <laughs> and, then he, and then he drops down and he's dead, right? Yes. So, alright, he's dead. Lem saw it. And the and the, the 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 people that shot him, the guy, the this the rival mob or whatever, um, they know that Lem saw it. So Lem is not like the mayor. <laughs> he's not he's not like the police captain's brother. Right. He's just this minstrel comedian. Yes. But they all of a sudden decide 
Who lives in a boarding house. Yes. So he's not even like. He's not a man of means. Exactly. (laughs) Nevertheless, we could kill this Bob dude. But for Lem, no, we we need to go tell him, yo, you better leave town, buddy. Uh, Very casually. (laughs) Periodically. First of all, because they, they tell him to leave. No, first they come to his house. They come to his house, knock on the door. You gotta leave. I'm not leaving. And then they, they leave. They say, "Okay, well, we told you." <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. They tell, they come to his house and tell him that he gotta leave. And he's like, "You mean I? I ain't going nowhere. I ain't going nowhere." Mm. Lem's sick wife hearing oh. the commotion. Oh, we didn't mention that Lem had a sick wife? Oh, yes. Lem has a very... A, By the way, Lem has a very sick wife. A very sick wife. A very ill wife. And a, But he has a housekeeper. So I guess he did have his own house. Just how, just like we just sprung that on y'all, the film sprung it on us. Pretty much. By the way, Lem has a sickly wife. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, who hears the com- commotion comes out out of her sick bed where she can hardly move. Where she could barely move. Yeah. yeah I yeah. mean, he had to force feed her pills. Yeah. <laughs> but she hears, and she hears a conversation. Which, which, I know, I know we come back to, what was that all about? I got some pills that are going to fix you. I was like, whoa, what is happening with Lim right now? I'm just giving her amphetamines. You're right on your feet. I got you, baby. Right. So Lim goes, right, he grabs the pills, force feeds them to her. (laughs) This is strange. So she gets out of her bed, not because she hears a commotion. Mm -hmm. She hears a conversation because they're not. There are no raised voices. There's no raised voices. They're like, yo, Lim, man, you know you really need to leave. You should should leave. You should leave. You should leave. Leave. L-E-A-V-E, leave. <laughs> so she comes around the quarter, sees this conversation, and drops dead. It's the stress. <laughs> it's the stress. Here's the bad thing, Lim. Here's the bad You want to hear the bad thing? Because of what happened with the earlier murder, at first I wasn't sure, well, shit, maybe they shot her. And I That's what I thought, that. too. Did they shoot her? Did I miss it? <laughs> Because she just drops dead. Because at first I thought she had fainted. And then Lim said, no, now she's dead, so I'm never leaving. I'm like, oh, shit, did they kill? Did I miss them shoot her? But they sure enough took credit for it. Yes. Because she drops dead. And then he said, that could happen to the rest of your family. It's like, Lord, are they going to go around and scare his family to death? They just go boo his family. Is Lim's whole family sickly? This is terrible. So then they leave. Lim says, well, I certainly won't leave now. They say, well, you better leave. And there are like two separate scenes <laughs> where Tom has passed. And Lim is just like on the street. It's just on the street. Like get a newspaper. And every now and then, these dudes walk past Lim and say, didn't we tell you to leave? And then they walk away. I've had Jehovah Witnesses come to my house that are more forceful than the mobsters in this film telling Lim to leave town because he's witnessed a murder. Boss, he won't get the message. <laughs> Lim, we need you to leave. And then they walk away and get a cup of coffee. I can't even talk. 
they literally they literally walk up on them on the street and they're like, "You still here?" And then they <laughs> and then they walk away. So I was sitting here thinking, I was like, well, damn, maybe I need to invent a time machine and go back and be a crime lord in Harlem, because apparently... Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. As a matter of fact, I can't even remember why eventually... Because eventually he does leave. Because they threaten his nephew real casually. Like they say, don't you have a nephew? Yeah. I yeah. do have a nephew. It'd be a shame if something happened to your nephew. But, like he's, but then, like, like there's never... Like, there's never any real intimidation. No, no. And mind you, like, when you hear nephew, you may picture, you know, little Leroy running right, right, around right, right, with, right, you know, right. his ball and stick. Yes. No, no this is his nephew. <laughs> He's like 37 years old. <laughs> 37 years old with a fiance. You know, it, 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 he, I'm sure the brother's throwing a punch or two. Yes. <laughs> Especially with the very casual gangster, he can certainly deal with these, right? You know, with these by the way mobsters, right, right. <laughs> so then, Lin Lim ends up down south, where he gets into trouble with the dude down south and punches him. Like, can I just point out that the most aggressive moment in this film is b- before the the brawl at the end. Is when Lim punches out the manager in the South. Punches out the manager in the South. Because he knocks his ass out. With one punch. Yes. Now, if you're hitting I was, about to, I was just about to say. I was just about to say. <laughs> Lim is on some old walking tall. Like Lim. Like Lim has some pent up anger. <laughs> if you're dropping bruh. Right. Like, like you need to go back to Harlem. Because he, he damn sure laid dude he out. He knocked him out like he was Debo in Friday. <laughs> Chris Tucker is standing over him talking about you got knocked. <laughs> People rifle in his pockets. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, Lev is, Lev just like, he just came from old man. Right. Be- because he's this is one of the scenes where he's wearing the cork. Yes. So you know they yeah, show because it. he because he left the state because he, he left the state. He re, right. He refuses. Right. So he has on like he knocking out dudes in blackface. <laughs> so then he you know he's still on the run and then he you know he becomes a, a bum and a drunk. Yeah. Because he can't work anywhere. That's a ginger uh, joint. Um. Which then eventually uh, there's a couple that has a nice little cute little scene. Man, I, I was piano. I was just about to say their duet was my favorite performance. Yes, it was cute. It yeah, was, um, it, was, it was it was real cute. You're gonna sigh and cry for me both night and day. Worry and strife will be written all over your face when you find out that another has definitely taken your place. Listen, baby, I didn't miss my butter. When my bread was dry Bread, right you I didn't miss my pappy when he said goodbye I didn't miss the old dear baby And I positively will not miss the new So how you figure I'll miss you Well I could be wrong But I bet you miss my cooking That's what got you so fat I'm on a diet And I'm sober as a judge So I can't be talking to my head You're gonna miss my fine 
when he asked the kid, when did you become a son? I didn't miss the old deal, and I positively was not to you. So, honey, how did you figure out with you? You, you know, again, what what I said about you know when you see these performances in in mainstream or, or white films from this moment, and they're very like the artifice is so heavy that you can tell again that they're placed there in a way that they can be removed easily. Yeah, they just ease into it. Mm-hmm. Like he's at the piano and she walks up, and before you know it. They're performing. Yeah, and it's only when you really start catching right. the rhythm, because otherwise it sounds like they're really just, they're having, just a having a conversation. conversation. And it's like, oh, they're actually performing right yeah. now. It was and it was real fun. You know what it was? It, it reminded me of um, Positive K. I, I'm not having it? Yeah. Or Excuse Me, Miss? No, I'm not having it. I mean, Positive K only had two songs, so <laughs> I just I named both of them. So, But I'm not having it, because the, the back and forth yeah, yeah. of their vibe was like real similar to that. There you go. That's what you get on the Michelle Mission. You get late thirties race films and references to minor early nineties MCs. You ain't have to put minor in there. I mean, he had two hits. I mean, I, I mean, but you ain't have to put. They, they were big. I mean, that was a big. I mean, hit. I love Positive K as much as people love Positive K. But I mean, easy. It was a big hit. All right, it was a huge hit. Excuse me, miss. No, I'm not having it. Had a commercial and everything. <laughs> So, um, did we say I got a man? Because that was his other. I said, we said it's not happening. I got a man. What your man got to do with me? I got a man. I ain't trying to hear that. See, oh, maybe that's the song. Right, right, right. Because she has a great line. She says, you must be a chef because you keep feeding me soup. Yeah. Yeah. That's a cute song. And and this song is kind of. It's kind of like that. It's kind of. Like there you go. It's kind of like that. It's kind of dope. Because this is one of those films. I mean, again, you, you said it. I think the documentary part of it, and I saw it was in a um in a documentary that that Ozzie Davis called the Shadow of uh, Hollywood or the Shadows. Anyway, I think I wonder how many of these race films have survived. Actually, they say like um, you talk about independent cinema today. They say that. In from 1932, 33, uh-huh. to like the early 40s, there may have been something like five to 600 race films made. Yes. And of that total, there's maybe a hundred. I didn't even know it was that many. That is still, still. I didn't even know it was that there. many. In, in, that are still out there. Right, right. Now that doesn't speak to the condition because this film while we did watch it is um is in by no means pristine p- right condition. Right. and and you always hear about these old films that the acetate was notoriously would fall apart so oh, that yeah. there are a lot of films oh yeah that you know people you know have you know from big studios yeah, yeah. much less you, you know these, you gotta imagine they were getting like the cheapest well and again these films were literally people were carrying them from theater to theater Mm -hmm. throughout you know the Mm -hmm. black sections of of the united states so yeah you can imagine what did and did not survive like i said that's amazing to me that a hundred have survived yeah but it was it it was interesting to watch this man i I kind of you know i i didn't like the movie but i liked the experience and i wouldn't mind i wouldn't actually mind uh trying to find maybe one or two more right well you know like i said now 
Like now I want to watch. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a bigger fan of stormy weather than cabin in the sky, but like now I want to watch stormy weather again and kind of see, you, you know, again, how they kind of drew from what this. they're pulling from, what they're pulling from yeah. and what they left out mm-hmm. Be, because, you know, I think that there's very much this kind of, uh, well, I think this, this, this moralizing in a cabin in the sky in particular, but also stormy weather that you don't get with this like this like this is kind of a again this is a pretty radical film Mm -hmm. for 1939 i mean arguably again the sentiment in 2016 where you have on film black actors talking about the roles that they have to play and how they have to do better and not for nothing we haven't even we haven't really talked about so they show the pre- the 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 production of Othello, and it's amazing because there are all these. So you know they're they're doing Othello, and it's very much by the numbers. It's it's actually they show the end where Othello kills, kills Desdemona, Desdemona right. and they show people in the crowd cutting up because it becomes like almost like a, this religious experience. Well, it, and then it transforms into this call and response. Yeah, and then they kind of, so it really is. A case where you have these black actors taking this very, you, you know, you can't get, again, more more standardized, more, you know, canon, if you will, than Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. But then they turn it into this black production where, you know, again, there's this call and response. You've got the audience, crying, you know, calling out like, you know, the, the stereotype about black people yelling at the movies like that didn't just start. And, you know, you got that back and forth. And then, you know, again, it's a church production. So there is a lot of the congregation there. And they sort of start singing this this song that um because, again, Othello's about to kill Desdemona. And the it's like the, the crowd turns into a choir and starts singing. No, no, she can't die. Yeah. And it's amazing. Rallying for right right rallying for her to not die and there's a moment where i start to think are they going to change the play mm. like are they going to change it so that you know this speaks to othello and othello doesn't kill her othello still kills her but still so you know again it's it's kind of um it's kind of radical it is in its own way it it is and but it uh it also shows you know how we take in these type of things we can appreciate you know art like shakespeare on a whole nother level there's right. another way to appreciate what is happening there absolutely and, be, and, and to feel what is happening there you know rather than just sitting there in you know in rapt silence as most people do in uh in shakespearean theater yeah you know until yeah. the very end no you 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 feel it in a visceral level and you let the you let the the actors know it and you let the actor and the actors without any, even breaking character feed off of that energy yeah and they actually know? say in the last scene one of uh Lim's friends says you know that might not be the shakespeare that that's not the othello that you thought you were going to do right but it certainly was the one that we needed exactly and it was like okay all right yeah Yeah, um and then they you know tie up in the bow at the end when the two two, (laughs) right the two two gangsters (laughs) shoot each other 
they're like two feet away from each other. <laughs> you know, I have to say, it's almost like this whole storyline gets in the it's like it's like the, the, the people at the Jubilee Pictures Corporation sat down and said all of the things that they wanted this film to accomplish, mm-hmm. sort of, you know, symbolically and metaphorically and you know as a as a message and this and other and then somebody said it's it's gotta have a storyline and they jotted down a storyline real quick and said okay this is gonna be the story see i don't think so i actually think that they i think that they um tried to come with a very an actual story a good story filled with drama melodrama yes you know room for some comedy because of you know who they were casting you know let them get their thing their thing off and 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 put in some some music but i really think that they tried to do the story first i really think that the story was just the execution was yeah the execution i mean the execution is what it is it's it's who these people are unfortunately um but uh, again i think the musical numbers are so much more polished and accomplished compared to this other stuff like even the Othello production that, that we were just talking not about. even just the Othello production I don't remember the kids but there's one little quick scene where you see like this this young dance troupe yeah of kids yeah and they are just they are going to town yeah man. That, yeah that is that was just beautiful to watch right there as well man um it's a cool movie I do want to share uh, if you want to get some more information about, especially about some of the the actors at of this time, Edna May Harris, who plays uh, Do- the femme fatale Doll Davis, she actually got to tell her story about starring in these independently produced films back in 1994 in the documentary Midnight Ramble, which is out there and you can find, and it speaks about these these early films uh, back from the day. Uh, and the actress Francine Everett, who played Desdemona, right, right, in this Desdemona movie. Jones. <laughs> there you go. Uh, she um, tellingly, uh, and I'm reading this straight from uh, Wikipedia. At the height of her career, Billy Rowe in the Amsterdam News dubbed Francine the most beautiful woman in Harlem. And filmmaker William Greaves commented that she would have been a superstar in Hollywood were it not for the apartheid climate in America and the movie industry at the time. She was noted at the time um, for refusing to accept racially demeaning and stereotypical films. Uh, She would basically retire from uh, Hollywood early on and to take a clerical job in Harlem at the at the Harlem Hospital uh, retiring from that job in 85 and then spent her later years speaking out about the race films at different seminars that were sponsored by the International Agency for Minority Artist Affairs alright so uh, so just a little backstory on some of the, the people uh, that uh, highlighted this film uh, paradise in Harlem is it's it's the shame of it is is that a lot of those lives are not as well chronicled as they would be in later later right, years right, uh, right, especially right. someone like Mamie Smith who while we do know a little bit of uh, about her uh, not near as much as as we should and and as well as Frank Wilson yeah because I do feel that the actor Frank H Wilson I have a funny feeling that the earnestness that Lou Anderson 
shows in this film yeah. is um, is Frank putting his own story Absolutely. out there. Absolutely, and I would I would love to be able to find out more of his story and therefore share it with you. Um, but we were able to share Paradise in Harlem with you, and feel free to go check it out. It's available on on Amazon Pro- Amazon Prime right yeah. now. I think it's also on YouTube. Yes, yeah, the whole thing yeah, is on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. It's like you it's, said, it's, it's, it's in um, public domain. Public domain. So, all right, okay. So, uh, I've done two films in a row. All right. So it's only fair that that Vince gets to, <laughs> gets to uh, rock out with a couple of films. All right. And uh, I think I know what your next film is. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. We're going to do Charles Barnett to Sleep with Anger. Yeah, man. Sleep with Anger. So y'all, you know, go 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 watch the Sleep with Anger. We're gonna get some. Yeah. Postmodern black southern gothic from 1990. Wow, 90. Wow, I didn't even think it was. That. I thought it was like 80s. It. We'll talk about it, but I think I. I think there's a reason for that. It very much feel feels like a film from the 80s. Yeah, but right. we will talk about that on the next stop on the Michaud Mission, which you can find at MichaudMission.com. You can also find it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and every other place that you find your favorite podcast as well as on the black tribbles podcast network feel free to hit us up send us an email at michellemission at gmail.com or you can leave us um a, a message on our facebook page uh Michelle mission on facebook or follow us on twitter at mission michelle for vince This is Len and Parting We Say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again.